Today we're going to be discussing best practices in focus groups and how you can go beyond survey data by collecting facial expression data and linguistic analysis. So first of all, Rex, can you tell me what mistakes do many lawyers make in conducting focus groups that compromise data quality? Well, you know, I, I think it's important to remember that, that a, a focus group is a group and it has group dynamics and the and it's not going to be the jury that you actually pr present the case to. Uh, and if you have people in there that are, are uh, assertive, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, and take control of the group, what the information you get is usually faulty. Uh, I, you know, I, I almost never ask for for a verdict anymore because it it bears no relation to reality of when I actually get in the trial. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess focus groups uh, let you see issues that maybe you might not have seen, but. I, I don't find them all that valuable uh, anymore in light of what we can do uh, on the internet. It, it's, it, there's much better ways to do this. Mm -hmm. So let me now, discuss. Now Sorry. the upside of it, and I think the reason a lot of lawyers like focus groups is it makes you practice, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and so that when you walk into the courtroom, you're, you're much more relaxed with the case. Okay. So let's discuss some of the best practices um, by, as you mentioned, doing it online, you can get a much more representative sample and you can do multiple focus groups and you can pre-screen out people to make sure they're eligible to be actually be jurors. Um, you can do, by doing multiple focus groups, you can get data that's more generalizable and look at patterns among a larger sample of groups. If you do those face-to-face -face focus groups, that are typically done, you're gonna have a, a limited number of people because of the, the sheer amount of work that goes into it. Um, you also have the option of having a, an objective moderator conduct a focus group, uh, a third party moderator, such as a behavioral scientist, someone in psychology, can ask the questions in a way that doesn't lead the jurors to give you uh, information you might wanna hear. If a lawyer is conducting their own focus group, they may unconsciously bias the jurors to respond in a way they uh, are expecting. Um, the online focus groups can be the, conducted in the, the home of participants. So they're comfortable, they feel at ease, they're more likely to freely express themselves in an online setting than maybe in an uncomfortable stuffy room where they're um, with other people that they don't know. Um, we can simulate what happens in a live focus group in terms of the group dynamic you mentioned, which is so important. But above and beyond that, we can use, um, we can collect additional data. So we can record facial expressions of each of the people in the group, which we can use later for offline analysis. And we can see how the intergroup dynamic plays out. So how groups um, affect each other in terms of their emotional expressions and their verbal responses. Um, and so we can record the text of this analysis again for offline analysis. And so in addition to the self-report or survey data you collect in traditional focus groups, we can use the videos to get facial expressions of emotion and also record the speech of each individual 
trans, uh, translate that or, or transcribe it, um, address in terms of data quality? Um, how do you think they can improve upon what lawyers are currently doing? Well, you know, it, I, I think what we're currently doing is, is, you know, when it first came out 20 years ago, it, it was really exciting stuff, this focus group stuff. Uh, but I think what we do now online is, is just gives you much better data. Primarily because, you know, it's, it's not uh, self-reported. Meaning, you know, the, up until facial expression, uh, uh, being able to read it with, with an algorithm came about, the best we really had was these knobs, you know, where people will spin the dial, you know, uh, but that's self-reported and it's it's subjective and uh, what we find is that oftentimes that is so skewed by the group you're in that that you know what facial expression gives us is what's the immediate reaction to whatever they're looking at before mm -hmm. it's filtered and before it's filtered by what the group is doing so so you get a much better read on on uh, what aspects of your case are, are going to have a, a provoke a reaction. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you want to keep in mind, that's all you're doing is, is you're looking for what provokes a reaction. And it's at the end of it all that you put it all together and then choreograph the case. And then we usually launch again on the, you know, with another focus group on the internet to see if it, if it has the, the effect we're looking for. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the uh, analysis of facial expressions. Um, so I'm going to give a little bit of background on the science behind it and then ask you your perspective on how you can use it in your cases. So we know that analyzing facial expressions can get at some underlying implicit unconscious biases people have. And in other words, it tells us more than people say, right? We can use facial expressions and their nonverbal behavior to get at these implicit biases and detect things that jurors might not want to reveal. So for example, here are some graphic images from a case. Um, we can present this information and see how jurors respond. Do they feel fearful? Do they feel sadness? Do they feel anger, surprise, or disgust? So this um, facial expression can give us very minute micro expressions that might not be able to be detected by the human eye. Um, this is an example of how we might use emotion data in a case where you present video evidence and then we can do a live reading of the face and indicate what emotions are being expressed. Um, basic emotions such as happiness, sadness, surprise, fear, disgust, but also more complicated emotions like contempt and embarrassment or confusion. Um, and we can get intensity ratings. We get live to the minute, to the millisecond uh, ratings. So we know exactly what people are responding to when they make that emotional expression. Um, so here's an example of the intensity of some emotions that were extracted from someone's deposition video. So at the beginning here, you can see the defendant discussing uh, a car accident that she caused and she's showing mostly neutral behaviors, but there's a couple points here where you can see expressions of anger and then later some expressions of sadness and happiness. And so we can pinpoint exactly what she's saying when she's experiencing these emotions, and then that could be later applied in the case. 
in the second half here, you can see the defendant is discussing how she responded after the accident happened. And you can see at this point, she's experienced an increase in sadness. So again, as you mentioned in our earlier discussion, um, you can use people's emotions and portray the evidence in ways that you intend to when you're um, generating um, the emotions of your jurors and how you're presenting evidence. So my question to you is, how can you use this analysis of facial expression in your cases? You know, what, what we discovered, and, and you know, our, the background of this is, I, I think we were the first in the field that were, were using uh, computers to analyze facial expression in focus groups. And what we, what we discovered, it was really, I mean, it was enlightening to us, is the, when they feel the emotion can have such a, a huge impact of, of, of what the verdict is. I mean, what we would do is, you know, we would present an opening, we'd do the pictures, we'd do clips from the video, and then we would do a mini closing and have an ask. Uh, and then we would go back and look at the verdict amount and, and do a, a regression analysis based on the facial expressions and when they occurred to, to give you some background as, as to how it works. And, you know, the what we found is that you you want to be careful of when you evoke sadness and anger and contempt or disgust. Uh, it, it's critically important that, and who evokes that. It probably best not coming from the lawyer, better if it comes from the witnesses. And you don't want sadness and anger in the closing, interestingly enough, which is counterintuitive. But once we learn that from the fo facial expression analysis and then just doing the regression, it, uh, it changed everything. And, and verdicts have just skyrocketed as a result. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now I'm going to um, discuss some new information with you on linguistic analysis, which you, you expressed some interest in this, so we can discuss it further. And so analyzing what people say, going beyond simply the vocabulary, but looking at the pattern and the structure of language can tell us more about individuals. It can tell us about their personality, their motivation, their drive, as well as their implicit biases. So by using facial expressions and linguistic analysis, we can get even deeper into how people think about the case. So the language variables that we can analyze will look at how analytical the person is, how much clout or authority they're expressing, how authentic they are versus how reserved they are in withholding information, and their overall sentiment and emotional tone. So beyond these four general categories, we can also get more specific into the psychology behind what the person is saying. To what extent are they feeling anxiety or anger? Or to what extent are they showing affiliation towards friends and family? We also can look at um, their drives, such as affiliation, um, their power needs. You could identify someone who might be a, the potential let's, for let's, person. Let's, 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 let, let's, let's back up. Let's go back okay. to that last slide. You know, the, the reason I'm so excited about this is 
if we if we get a lot of word choices that focus around the family, say, right, mm -hmm. or uh, the the uh, why that would be so significant to me is because if I get that type of juror on on the actual case, I'm going to focus on the family. You know, I'm going to put a lot of lot of uh, resources into presenting how this has impacted the family. Mm -hmm. uh, if if the facial, uh, I mean, if the word expression and uh, or the word choices indicate a a disconnect with their family, I'm not going to do that. You know, mm -hmm. depending on who the juror is. Uh, the the other thing I really like about this is. You know, we, we, we stand in front of this jury and we're not supposed to precondition them. And, you know, it, it, it's such a crapshoot half the time of what to ask them and all. But with this, you actually, you know, first of all, I've never been able to precondition a jury to anything. Uh, I think that that's myth more than, more than anything. But now I'm, I'm really wanting to understand and learn from the juror as I'm talking to them because I need them talking just to get the words out, right. just to give the computer something to, to analyze. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I, I'm excited about using this because I think it's going to be a much uh, more productive void ire. Mm -hmm. uh, rec recently, we were trying a case and we really pissed the judge off. Uh, <laughs> Mm -hmm. long story just to say he was enraged and he made it very clear to me that i better not do anything wrong in void ire and it was the best void ire i'd ever done i just stayed in the rules and you know he threatened to only give me a half hour and he ended up giving me two and a half hours mm -hmm. uh with this i could take those transcripts and you know you could pick a great jury mm -hmm. absolutely and as you said the more you can get your potential jurors talking, the more data you can get from them. So it's that pattern or that structure, structure of their speech that really gets us uh, information into those underlying motives and emotions and their personality. So by we can combine this linguistic analysis with the traditional surveys we use to gather their personality traits. So as you mentioned earlier, they can bring up personal concerns in their responses about their their job, their achievements, their home, whether religion is important to them. So as you said, you can tailor your arguments to the jurors once you know what their concerns and motivations and drives are. Um, from the you know, pattern- you know, Bettina, it also gives us the capability of fashioning scratch questions, meaning, we're, we're now got a lot of data coming in, you know, when we do these focus groups and it gives us the ability that if somebody, because, you know, you get all this information with the focus group, you then get the, uh, the, you do the ask and they give you the suggested amount of what their verdict would be and you do the regression based upon what, what was important to them. And so now whatever jury I get, I know exactly how to appeal to them based upon just a few questions. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Did I articulate that well enough? Absolutely, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So the, the summary of what we can come up with in terms of looking at speech is we can look at where is their attention focused? Is it self-focused? Is it other focused? 
Um, and that can tell, again, the perspective you take when you present case information, their emotionality, in addition to their facial expressions, are they using more positive or negative tone in their speech? And that can, that can reflect whether they're lying or authentic. Um, we also can look at, in, especially in the juror, the um, focus group dynamic, we can look at social relationships, who's higher versus lowest, lower status in the group. How well is the group working well together or not? Um, if someone is being deceptive in the group, we can detect that by their speech patterns and also the quality of the relationships that the jurors are developing. So if we could do this in a mock jury online, um, we can get a better idea of how actual jurors will behave in that real setting, even though, as you mentioned, the group dynamic is so unique and it depends on who, who's in the room and what they're bringing with them. But the more data we can gather, the more accurate our predictive models can be. Um, it also tells us the jurors' thinking styles. Are they more analytic? Do they think deeply and complexly about issues or more superficially? Um, and we can look at patterns that, that vary by individual demographics, gender, race, personality, and so forth. Um, so given this information, and you've shared a lot of good ideas so far, how do you see linguistic analysis being used in the, the law domain and in your cases? I'm just a big believer in it. You know, year, years ago, I had a, had a case where the, uh, the family was affluent and, uh, you know, we're doing focus group after focus group and it, it, I wasn't really happy with the results. And what we stumbled on with that with, through the focus groups was to quit calling them affluent and start calling them a hardworking family. Mm. And they, they already went off the chart. Just mm. that, one, that one framing change, you know, hardworking right. family. Right. The, uh, and, and, and so what, as you're talking, what I'm, what I'm visualizing is not only, you know, does this work for doing focus groups, but it would, it's something we would want you to stay with us during the trial, you know, I mean, contact with us so that, you know, we could, we, we not only structure the case for the, what jury we have, because now we're going to know, I mean, you know, jurors really fall into three or four categories. The, the mistake lawyers have always made is thinking that's a demographic category. It, it's simply not, right. you know. But but with if we did if we got sufficient data during the focus group uh, on the internet, you know, doing that a few times, uh, you're you're now going to know exactly what you, who you have up there, and what are the word choices you're going to have to make that's going to appeal to them. You know, too often we we try cases what, that appeal to us. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and we are not representative of of what's on that jury panel. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just this is exciting stuff, you know. Especially if you can narrow the scratch questions down. And by scratch question, what I mean is, if you have three or four questions, and depending on the response you get, you know how to how to appeal to that particular juror. Look at the advantage you have. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and what the science is also teaching us is most of what we think is true is not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And 
like you said, you can't rely on demographics alone. Humans are so complex that we need to get as much information as we can about them, personality, motives, all these underlying, uh, you know, background information that they bring with them to the jury. We, we need to get some pattern and some prediction out of that. So I think that that's the benefit of these, these, uh, these scientific approaches with using facial expression and linguistic analysis. Well, you know, it, it's, it, we're, we're uh, lost as everybody else, except we're recognizing that by the time this, this epidemic has settled down, and I think it's going to be with us for years, but when it settles down and we're back into court and all, this, this is a huge opportunity for us to understand how to use online everything. You know, uh, last week my son settled a huge case and he did it on a virtual mediation. You know, mm -hmm. that everybody was in their office. And what he reported back to us is he's never going to do a mediation any other way. <laughs> you know, it's more efficient, not, not less efficient. Uh, and I think that this is going to make the courts use video in, in, much more, in a much more efficacious manner. Uh, I mean, seriously, look what we're doing now. Why couldn't you have court proceedings that way? I mean, call-in call is great, you know, but seriously, that's 1960 technology. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, uh, I think this is going to force the, the 24th, 21st century onto the court and onto lawyers. Uh, and, you know, this, this language, choice of language is, is, uh, is not just for jurors. I mean, you know, we're, we're working on a a, a program that will actually filter every email, every letter, everything that goes out of our office for tone and uh, for the tone of it, because we know that that being a, I mean, being an asshole doesn't appeal to anybody. And if your letter appears angry or contemptuous of the other uh, attorney, judges turn off to you. You know, we want to. We always want to be presenting a positive face, and and that you know that's hard to do in our profession because all we do is fight. Uh, but with with this technology, everything is going to change, and the people who actually are using it, the advantage is is incalculable. Uh, I'm just shocked about just how I've always been shocked. I mean, for 20 years, I've been shocked about how simple word selection can have such a huge impact on the on the outcome. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we have we have groups working on it as to how to how to uh, take I don't want to say take advantage, but that's what I mean. <laughs> I mean <laughs> how do we leverage what's happening uh, so that when we reach the end of this this journey, we're positioned to launch. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's a trial and error process now, but now's the time, you know, you should be doing all of those things that you never had time to do before. Like one, we've got two people working on just automating discovery so that, you know, it just goes out like this when this is over. Uh, 
The other thing we're doing is, you know, we now have the opportunity to make sure that demands have gone out on every single file, you know, the 998 demands so that we could get interest and costs and all that. The, the people who are using this as an opportunity as opposed to a detrimental period uh, are going to excel and they're going to do very well because the mo most of the world is, you know, just running around holding their heads uh, and, and they're, not, they're not putting any positive energy into it. And that's a mistake. I tell people the first 20 years of me being a lawyer were 20 years of misery, you know, and because when you feel like a total fraud, you know, you go masquerading around like you're supposed to be confident and, you know, you're the, you're the lawyer and, and you have all the answers. And, and uh, so you, you have an imposter syndrome in the extreme, you know, and it wasn't until I, you know, started studying uh, cognitive science and persuasion and how, how how we react physio our physiology in the courtroom that you know once i mean i never feel like i'm out of control anymore i i feel like i'm you know i'm the conductor you know i actually bring a uh, you know those wands conductors use or went across the street from the courthouse we have the disney uh center there and i bought one you know uh, just to remind me what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, I'm the conductor. So, it, you know, it's, I, now I look forward to going to, to trial. It, it's like, damn, how do I get in there? You know, like this, this COVID thing, closing the courthouses is, is, is disastrous from, from an emotional point of view, because it's, it's, once you get that down, once you learn how to control the, the heart rate, you know, it's not even controlling the fear, it's just controlling the heart rate. Once you learn that, there's no better place than the courtroom. It's exciting, it's, it's a lot going on. You know, there's so much information coming at you, it's hard to put it all together. I don't know, I like it.